You're listening to WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up Show starts right now. And welcome, welcome, welcome to Fired Up, right here on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. Yes, it's Monday afternoon, and that means it's time for us to go diving into the political machine here in the United States. This is Steve. I host the show each week, and I want to welcome every one of you on board as we look at what's happening here in the United States. So, as always, uh, I hope everybody's had a good weekend and looking forward to a good and productive and safe week as we roll on toward uh, the 4th of July, which will be next week. Hard to believe that we're already halfway through the year 2021, but we are. So let's get right into it, all right? Uh, Let's start, as always, with our COVID update. Uh, As of uh, the recording of this show, uh, we are at 33.6 million cases of COVID-19 reported here in the U.S. Uh, 604,000 people have died from the disease and a total of 322.1 million vaccinations have been administered. And that includes 178 uh, million people who've received one dose and 152.2 million people who have received uh, two doses. So right now the U.S. stands at about 47% uh, vaccinated. Uh, The other news related to that was that a target Uh, by the administration to have the 70% threshold met for um, Americans to have at least one uh, vaccine dose. Uh, Looks like that's going to fall short, but, you know, we continue to make efforts. We continue to push forward. And as long as we continue to do the things that the scientific and medical community advise us to do, we'll keep making progress toward our goals. All right. In other COVID news, um, there's a story that came out of Politico uh, over the weekend, uh, which talked about the the battle lines that are being drawn in red states and blue states over the the college campuses uh, and universities' uh, rulings on whether or not to mandate vaccines for students and faculty and staff at the universities. And as you might expect, the battle is falling uh, down along political lines. Um, those in the red states uh, are looking to you know, have bans on requirements for universities mandating that uh, students show proof of vaccination status. And um, not only that, that they uh, are fighting the requirements that some universities have made that students have to get a vaccination before they return to campus for classes uh, which will be opening up shortly. So, you know, there, of course, you know, this is going to end up in the courts. Uh, according to the article, uh, the, the moves by the states are going to set up likely a series of court fights over who has the power to police campus health just as uh, the schools prepare to uh, reopen for in-person instruction. Uh, In Indiana, a group of Indiana University students has sued over the school's fall vaccine requirement, forcing the state's attorney general to weigh in. The battles could extend in addition to as many as 16 states because some of the bans don't explicitly single out universities, 
but instead target, quote, government, gov I'm sorry, governmental entities, close quote, that could apply to state colleges. Uh, so, you know, like, like many things that we see across the spectrum here uh, these days, uh, we've got divides happening along political lines. Uh, the article goes on to talk about universities in democratic control states uh, have adopted vaccine mandates with little controversy. Uh, Biden administration has been redoubling efforts to persuade younger Americans to seek out the shot as it faces the strong likelihood, as I mentioned, of missing the COVID-19 vaccine dose goal of 70% uh, by July 4th. Uh, so, you know, we have this resistance to vaccine rules on campus, um, which you know, kind of reminds us of the, the battle lines that were drawn over mask wearing and other elements of our battle against the COVID disease. And, you know, some states seem to be uh, the, the point of the spear in this. Uh, one of them is Arizona. And as the article notes, Arizona has been a flashpoint for the battle over college vaccination requirements. Uh, Republican Governor Doug Ducey last week issued an executive order blocking vaccine mandates on campuses after publicly jousting with Arizona State University over a vaccine plan the school rolled out in mid-June. That plan would have required non-vaccinated students to wear masks on campus and be tested up to twice a week while exempting vaccinated students from such rules. So, you know, stepping out of the article, it's clear that the kind of lines we're seeing drawn are ones where, you know, the, the, the argument isn't over so much the benefit of getting vaccinated uh, as it is the difference between the um, things that vaccinated versus non-vaccinated uh, individuals will need to, to adjust to, most notably uh, continued mask wearing, social distancing, and some of the other things that uh, we have to do in, in areas where we want to keep ourselves safe. And not to be outdone, Florida uh, also uh, stepped up into the light in this issue, uh, where Governor Ron DeSantis in early May signed into law a ban on vaccine mandates at both public and private colleges and universities. Uh, that forced at least one school Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale to reverse a vaccine requirement that had only allowed exemptions for medical issues or religious beliefs. Now the school says that if 80% of the students report being vaccinated, it will not require masks on campus. So, and, and that points to one of the other elements in many uh, college campuses around the country are uh, asking for uh, voluntary self-assessments of vaccine status uh, from the students and from the faculty and are making their, their decisions on how to handle the, the COVID-19 uh, situation on campus based on those assessments. Uh, others have you know, changed uh, wording and removed the word requirement, uh, replacing it with words like strong recommendation or strongly encouraged, etc. So you know, the, the COVID situation here in the country continues to draw controversy and to, to draw uh, argument and dispute. Um, but nonetheless, we continue 
to make progress toward getting you know as many Americans vaccinated as possible and getting to that that group immunity level that will help move the vaccine from you know it, its critical nature to its to a managed uh, situation, which is what we want to get to ideally. So as always, we'll we'll keep you posted, and we'll let you know how these battles turn out. But you know the the bottom line at the end of the day, as we always say, especially on this show here, is you know do what you need to do to protect yourself, your family, your community, and your country. Uh, get vaccinated or at a minimum, make sure you follow the medical and scientific guidelines uh, where you know, necessary, you know, masking when out in gathering, social distancing, et cetera, et cetera. So you know, we will keep fighting this on, on multiple levels. Uh, ideally, the more people to get vaccinated, the better. But you know, in, in, the, in the absence of that and taking into account freedom of choice, you know, at least, you know, wear your mask when you need to, you know, maintain your distance. You know, all of that works toward the goal of getting us having this uh, pandemic under control and moving us back to a more normal lifestyle. So, as I said, we'll keep you posted on this. So, uh, and if you have any comments or questions on the COVID-19 question, uh, please send an email to the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com. I'd love to get comments from listeners on you know, what they think. Uh, are they in favor of mandatory vaccination or are they opposed to it? You know, it it's not something new. You know, it, it is something that in this country, uh, with regard to you know, elementary school students and, and public school students, we've had to you know, make sure that you know, our children were vaccinated uh, routinely before they could enter school in the fall. That's been a practice going back um, more than 50 years. So it, it is not a new thing. It is, you know, just the latest iteration of a public health policy becoming politicized. But as I said, we'll keep track of that. We'll let you know what transpires. Uh, if you have, you know, comments on it, please send an email to the show, firedupradio at yahoo.com. All right, moving along to our next topic. And once again, the great state of Georgia finds itself in the news as the uh, Justice Department is suing Georgia over an election law it says restricts black voters' access. And this was reported in USA Today um, just this past Sunday. Uh, the article talks about the Justice Department suing the state of Georgia in an effort to overturn a contentious state law that federal officials claim restricts black voters' access to the polls in what's probably the first of several legal challenges to the state's newly imposed election laws. Uh, the, the article cites uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland uh, quoting, saying, the rights of all citizens to vote are the central pillars of our democracy, adding that recent changes to Georgia law amounted to voter suppression. Again, quoting, the lawsuit is the first step in many we are taking to ensure that all eligible voters can cast a vote, that all lawful votes are counted, and that every voter has access to accurate information. So this here is you know, the, the latest uh, chapter in the ongoing battle around this country uh, over 
how GOP-led states are you know, restricting and imposing uh, changes to voter laws uh, that govern you know, when you can vote, how you can vote, where you can vote, uh, and, and other means uh, by targeting voters who typically don't vote Republican and also targeting you know, voters that are, are clustered in urban areas and other areas, uh, again, that typically uh, ha have not voted Republican. And it's clear the criticism of the law that uh, came from Democratic sectors, uh, including such comments as from the NAACP President Derek Johnson, who said, and I quote, uh, today's announcement from the Attorney General speaks to the level of urgency that is needed to protect our fragile democracy and ensure that all voices are heard. We are in a race against time and against those working to discount us. Uh, he also cited that the recent election laws are a blatant assault on the American people's most fundamental and sacred right, the right to vote. And you know, in addition to that, the Justice Department uh, announced that the nation's U.S. attorneys are being directed to more closely track threats to election workers across the country as deep political divisions have raised the risk to poll workers and other officials. And we reported on this last week with threats received by some poll workers and election officials in some states around the country. Um, you know, Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco said in a, feder a federal task force would be pursuing such threats, an action that Garland said was prompted by an increasing number of news reports highlighting the problem. Kemp, Governor Kemp, meanwhile, uh, said that the action was born out of lies and information, and he is quoted uh, at that. Uh, the Biden administration, the governor said, was, quote, weaponizing the U.S. Department of Justice to carry out their far-left agenda that undermines election integrity and empowers federal government overreach in our democracy. Okay, let's jump out of the article right there for a second. First of all, on its face, um, and again, my opinion, uh, the Republicans are not the one who needs to be crying out about weaponizing the Department of Justice. Uh, we clearly saw how the prior administration, the prior Republican administration, routinely uh, used the DOJ as a form of weapon against its perceived political uh, enemies. Uh, um, it, it is, you know, sort of hypocritical, to say the least, for the Republicans to now turn around and say that the the Democratic administration is weaponizing the Department of Justice uh, for its, for what it perceives as its goals uh, with this issue. Um, the bottom line is both parties need to leave the Department of Justice, to leave the DOJ the hell alone. Uh, the DOJ is intended to be an independent law enforcement agency. It is not, as we saw argued again and again in the prior administration, supposed to be the personal law firm of the chief executive. And it is not, as we saw then and as you know, they're alleging we're seeing now, uh, intended to be a weapon used against the people uh, by the government. That's not what they are there for. They are there to defend the laws of this country. So, you know, we, we've got this situation where... You know, both sides uh, have or are accusing 
the DOJ of, of being, you know, partisan political and, you know, being a weapon of the administration. Um, but at the end of the day, the important part of this is that the DOJ is going to pay close attention to these threats of violence against election workers, uh, to you know the the conditions uh, that lead up to these uh, violent threats, and you know to the the laws that you know that form the fertile ground for these sentiments to take root in. Um, one of the things that you know the the administration seeks to do is to move forward with both the rights laws that they've been trying to push, um, which is the, you know, For the People Act, uh, H.R. 1, S. 1, and the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Act, H.R. 4, S. 4. This past week, the Senate failed to achieve the votes it needed to advance debate on H.R. 1, S. 1, uh, as the votes fell 50-50, and because of the filibuster uh, requirement, 60 votes would have been needed in order to advance debate. So, you know, a- as we talked about last week as well, uh, the argument for and against the filibuster is still alive and well and still stalemated uh, in our Congress and in the Senate as to what needs to be done. And, um, you know, we, we've, we've made the opinion here clear on this show that, you know, the filibuster need not be totally removed. However, there is uh, precedent and history for adding exceptions uh, or exclusions to the filibuster rule. Uh, one need look no further than actions taken by then majority and now minority uh, leader McConnell in getting the filibuster changed when it come to, came to appointing uh, federal and Supreme Court justices. Um, and it has been done in other things as well. Uh, but, you know, the, the argument that the filibuster is an all or nothing game, that is, if, if you, you can't change it, you've got to eliminate it, is still going on and is still a bone of contention between the two parties. Uh, one that, you know, frankly, it, it's unclear whether we will see a resolution to, uh, you know, anytime soon. But hopefully, uh, you know, compromise can be found in there somewhere to where, you know, these bills can be allowed to move forward. Um, it, it is desperately clear with what we're seeing happening in these GOP-led states that some form of, you know, oversight of the rules changes that are being proposed uh, needs to be reinstated. Uh, it was removed from the Voting Rights Act of 1965 by a vote of the Supreme Court. Uh, we need to see that that uh, segment replaced and bolstered by you know HR1, uh, S1, HR4, S4, uh, in order to not control the way states vote. And that this is another argument that is being made to scare people and scare political, uh, you know, political people into, you know, not wanting to address the filibuster and not wanting to approve these votes. Uh, the, the states will and will continue 
to retain control of the election process in this country. That is written into the Constitution. It would require an amendment to the Constitution with all of the legwork and rigmarole that that would require uh, in order to uh, remove the power of the states to run you know, the federal election system. Um, and it's important when you hear people talking about uh, the federal government taking over the elections. Keep in mind that that just can't happen with the passing of a law. It has to be done as a constitutional amendment. It is part of the, the body of the Constitution that says the states have the role of running the elections for public office in this country. And, you know, a, a simple law which may, you know, may make, um, ad not additions, but you know, minor tweaks to it can't be used to repeal it. It would have to be a repeal through the constitutional process. Now, that's not to say that the, the role of the federal government in ensuring that, you know, the rights of the voters and the rights of the citizens are fairly and equitably protected. And that was what Section 5 of the Voting Acts, Voting Acts of 1965 did, is it protected the right of people not to be discriminated against in their voting process. That is a federal protection uh, that can be you know, reinstated and adjusted and so forth through the process of creating laws. However, removing the control of the voting process from the states uh, is something that would require a constitutional amendment in order to do. So when you know, someone is arguing with you that they fear that the government is going to take away the state's rights to run the elections, remind them that the only way that could happen would be for a, uh, an amendment to the Constitution, which would require you know, votes in, you know, across the country. We require 38 states to ratify it. And, you know, that in this political environment is highly unlikely given the political makeup of the state legislatures in this country. So, you know, the, the government probably, most likely, isn't going to be taking away the state's uh, abilities to run elections. So, all right, um, a couple of other uh, quick things and then we'll go to our break. So according, and these are, are from some of the headlines around the country uh, over the past uh, few days and past week, uh, according to an article from the New York Times that was published on Sunday, uh, Arizona GOP lawmakers strip power from Democrat. The Republican-controlled state legislature in Arizona voted Thursday to revoke the Dem Democratic Secretary of State's legal authority in election-related lawsuits, handing that power instead to the Republican Attorney General. And we talked about this, uh, I believe it was uh, Mississippi that did a similar thing, where, um, and it's also you know, part of the law that was signed in Georgia, uh, where the, the Secretary of State's power over the election process within that state uh, has been adopted, modified, or you know, reduced, where the election essentially, if it you know, displeases the powers that be, particularly if they're Republican powers, they have 
the ability to uh, invalidate it and you know install their own election board to oversee how the the votes are cast and counted and so forth and not to be confused with what I was just talking about in terms of running the election this is solely uh, within the the state's uh, rights under the Constitution of the United States and in most cases under the state constitutions as well that the Election Commission uh, has the authority to shape the the voting results process uh, as you know it sees fit based on you know votes and popular opinion so you know that Arizona is removing the Democratic Secretary of State's ability to weigh in on election-related lawsuits uh, is just another uh, page in that practice that we're seeing spring up all across the country. So just another quick note, something to keep tabs on. We'll keep you posted uh, and keep an eye out for other states that may or may not be doing the same thing. So let's grab our break here. You're listening to Fire It Up right here on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. This is Steve. Thank you for listening and tuning in. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this quick break. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. And welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. So we're back and we're continuing to talk about the political issues uh, here in the United States. Uh, if you if you've been following this show, and I hope that you have, um, one of the things you notice is that I often talk about uh, expanding your information sources, going you know wider, deeper, further, uh, to get more information on subjects, bef- you know, to help you make an informed decision, uh, to be educated, to be smart about politics. And uh, if you've noticed, uh, frequently I will cite. Uh, sources such as, well, like in this in this show, we cited Reuters, we've cited uh, Associated Press. I frequently cite sources from the major media outlets, uh, you know, MSNBC, Fox, CNN, um, you know, all of those. Um, frequently, you know, papers we we speak from the New York Times, Washington Post, um, Wall Street Journal, you know, all, New York Post a whole range um, and something you you might or might not have noticed is that um, very seldom do stories from uh, two of the news sources out there which I do follow by the way but um, you know just 
seldom do they have a story that rises uh, up to worthiness to be included on my show, in my opinion. Um, and that would be OANN, or One American News Network, and Newsmax. Uh, we saw the rise of these two networks uh, throughout the prior administration, and they continue to pursue an extreme right, uh, conservative, uh, sometimes freaky um, political point of view. And so usually I may find a story on one of these networks and when I research it, it is so heavily debunked and, and you know, disproven that you know, it, it just, I, I just can't bring myself to bring it to the show. That changed this past week. Um, article showed up and this was reported uh, from the Daily Beast, but uh, OAN did a, uh, uh, a video, I don't know what you'd call it, but anyway, OAN, the title says in, in the Daily Beast article, goes, full fascist calls for mass executions over election fraud. And that headline grabbed my attention and you know made it necessary for me to read deeper into the article. Um, the article came out of the Daily Beast from Justin Barragona, and he talks about how uh, one American news personality, Pearson Sharp, unleashed an openly fascistic fantasy this week, calling for the mass executions for thousands of Americans based on his belief in the outright false claim that widespread voter fraud amounted to a coup against former President Donald Trump. So, you know, the, the article goes on uh, to give some background, you know, uh, since last November's election, he continues, in which Joe Biden handily defeated Trump, OAN has led the charge in peddling unhinged conspiracy theories in order to push the ex-president's big lie, quote, that the election was stolen from him. In recent networks, the Fringe Network has sponsored the so-called Arizona Election Audit with OAN host Christina Bob, fundraising for the effort while also serving as a legal advisor to Trump. Um, you know, so in, in this on-air essay, which aired Tuesday night, uh, Pearson Sharp, who has repeatedly lied about the 2020 election and the January 6th insurrection, embraced these latest attempts to discredit Biden's victory to call for harsh retribution against Democrats. Citing long debunked claims that there were widespread problems with voting integrity in 2020, Sharp claimed that the, quote, radical Democrats left fingerprints all over the country, providing a trail of evidence that the 2020 election was not only tampered with, it was actually overthrown. He then said, this raises questions over the level of involvement in the non-existent election fraud. He raises the question, how many people were involved in these efforts to undermine the election? Hundreds? Thousands? Tens of thousands? You know, and then he uh, dramatically asked, how many people does it take to carry out a coup against the presidency? Uh, <laughs> you know, and he, he, he continues saying, when all the dust settles from the audits in Arizona and the potential audits in Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Nevada, and Wisconsin, what happens to all those people who are responsible for overthrowing the election? 
What are the consequences for traitors who meddled with our sacred democratic process and tried to steal power by taking away the voices of the American people? What happens to them? And then he answered his own question. Well, in the past, America had a very good solution for dealing with such traitors. Execution, he bluntly declared. So you can, you can find this article at the Daily Beast. Um, and like I said, ordinarily, um, stories from OAN and Newsmax uh, usually uh, don't make the cut or, you know, in some cases they get, you know, overshadowed by larger stories that come out of other outlets. But this one just seemed so outrageous and, and just so um, laughable on its face, in my opinion that I, I just had to bring it into the show. Now, I will say that um, in, in a comment, and this is in the article, in a comment to Talking Points Memo, Sharp asserted that neither I nor OAN are suggesting anyone should be executed. That is for the appropriate law enforcement agencies to determine. He went on to add that OAN is simply pointing out that if election fraud is proven, then it could very well constitute treason. And according to our laws, treason is punishable by death. Um, you know, the, the, I'm glad that they, bat, they walked that back and at least put that disclaimer in there. But the overall concept that, you know, the people responsible for, you know, in, in their opinion, quote, stealing the 2020 election um, basically constitutes a coup against uh, the, the president. So I, I asked the question in, in reverse, what does people storming the Capitol looking to kill members of Congress up to and including the Vice President of the United States, uh, what does that constitute? Um, you know, uh, again, the, the revisionist history that gets practiced in, in these times uh, with us, whether it's, you know, 100 years ago or, you know, 10 days ago, uh, just never ceases to amaze me. Um, I, you know, like I said, OAN, Newsmax, you know, generally uh, their stories can be so thoroughly debunked, and this one is no different, uh, that I, I don't waste the the digital space to to bring them into my show um, but that being said I often say you know you got to verify all the sources you got to look back and look deeper and look wider and you know get your information from as many sources as possible so that includes sources you may you know fundamentally uh, disagree with um, and you know this is one of those times but I, I will say that you know the the level to which um, we just seem to be descending into the theater of the absurd uh, with regard to the 2020 election um, just you know never ceases to amaze me and just continues to be an eyebrow raising um, thing. So you know in, in related headlines, of course, the former president is now back out on the campaign trail. And, you know, he held a rally in um, Ohio 
and you know raised all of the same you know conspiracy theory uh they stole the election from me etc 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 that he has been saying for the last you know six months and you know the 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 crowd uh the the maga people who attended absolutely in you know enjoyed and relished and ate every scrap of red meat that he threw out there um so just when we thought maybe we'd have a little bit of a rest period before the madness and hysteria and conspiracy theories and all of that other hoopla would uh, go away, I guess not. So we'll we'll keep an eye out on it and we'll let you know what transpires. So in other news, uh, let's take another look at some headlines. And, you know. As I often say, you know, it, it isn't just the Republicans who are playing these games, who are, you know, doing all of these shenanigans. Um, just this past week, uh, President Biden came out and announced that they had achieved a compromise deal on the infrastructure package that they have been working on for so long. And, you know, he touted the work of his team and working with their GOP counterparts to come back with a counter a, a a compromise deal that gives both sides some of what they wanted in the package you know obviously not all so he goes on the air and he's touting this deal that's been created and then when within a few hours he comes back and makes a statement that that of course he's not going to sign it until the soft infrastructure package gets passed so you know, the, the question is, what's it going to be, Mr. President? Are you going to do the deal or are you not going to do the deal? Um, you know, it, it, it's clear that these types of things just create confusion and misunderstanding. So he, of course, had to walk back his remarks, clear it up and, you know, convince and reaffirm to his Republican allies and in, in this package that, yes, he is you know, on board with this, that he's committed to the bipartisan deal uh, that's going to um, be, be brought to him. So, you know, it, it's just like something I heard in an interview um, over the weekend where it said, you know, the Republicans tend to be very good at playing this, um, this political game. They have mastered the art of, you know, deception and misdirection while they do the things they want to do a la you know I, I would say that you know the 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 noise they're making about the former president going back on the campaign trail and all of that stirring up merely provides cover for what they are trying to do in congress while the democrats keep you know trying to play by the rules and you know let's play fair we're not going to mistreat our, you know, our Republican colleagues just because we disagree with them. You know, I, I am growing more and more into that segment of the population that says, you know what? Damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. If you need to, to do something to change the filibuster, do it. If you need, you know, to, to run portions of the infrastructure bill under reconciliation, do it. The, the end result will be a benefit 
to the country. It will help out millions of Americans. It will create jobs. It will create goodwill that all of the Republican propaganda will not be able to overcome if Democrats, you are able to bring your message to the people clearly, concisely, and thoroughly, and let them know this is what we did for you. This is the benefit you will get. Don't give us, you know, some in theories and, you know, we're projecting. Tell us the reality. Tell us what it's going to do. You know, is it going to create more jobs? Okay. How many more jobs? Where? Is it going to, you know, impact the deficits? Yes, we need to know that too. We need to be uh, intelligent and smart about the aspects of what our political leaders are doing. You know, the, the idea that our political leaders on both sides uh, believe that the American people are stupid, um, that's got to end. And how do we end that? We need to call them out when they are treating us like children and let them know that, look, we need to know what's going on with this bill. We need the details. We need the facts. We need the, the you know, you got to show me the receipts. You got to show me the verified uh, information that that backs this up. So anyway, um, sorry for the rant there. But like I said, when you follow politics, it is sometimes difficult not to get frustrated and to let that frustration seep out into what you're doing. So hopefully I will get that back in check and we'll get back to, you know, purely um, objective, uh, non-rant comments on our political system. But that, that doesn't preclude that every once in a while I may delve into a rant or two. Just putting that out there. All right, let's get back into the news. And um, while this next story is not necessarily political in nature, um, I have a feeling that we are going to see a, a very political backlash against this story on, on several different fronts. Um, and this story comes out of Eugene, Oregon. And it, uh, the the venue is the Olympic track and field trial for the U.S. Olympic team. Um, on Saturday, the uh, third place finisher in the women's uh, hammer throw uh, turned sideways or turned away from the flag during the playing of the national anthem. So let me get into the story. And this came out of the Associated Press. Uh, for the past week, they've played the national anthem one time a night at the U.S. Olympic track and field trials. On Saturday, the song happened to start while outspoken activist Gwen Berry was standing on the podium after receiving her bronze medal in the hammer throw. While the music played, Barry placed her left hand on her hip and shuffled her feet. She took a quarter turn so she was facing the stands, not the flag. Toward the end, she picked up a black t-shirt that she had with the words activist athlete emblazoned on the front and draped it over her head. In a quote from Barry, it said, I feel like it was a setup, that they did it on purpose, Barry said on the, uh, of the timing of the anthem. I was pissed, to be honest. So 
you know the the athlete um, basically has protested in the past um, but she you know the the timing of it just seemed to to fit you know what she considered a broader narrative you know but again this is not the first time she has done it um, nor has she um, shown any indication that it will be the last the article continues saying Barry has promised to use her position to keep raising awareness about social injustices in her home country quote my purpose and my mission is bigger than sports Barry said I'm here to represent those who died due to systemic racism that's the important part that's why I'm going referring to the Olympics that's why I'm here today she found it to be no matter of coincidence that she was front and center during the anthem unlike the Olympics they don't play anthems to accompany medal ceremonies uh, at the trials but the hammer throwers received their awards just before the start of the evening session which has been kicked off all week with a video rendition of the Star Spangled Banner played on the scoreboard USA track and field spokeswoman Susan Hazard said that the national anthem was scheduled to play at 5.20 p.m. today. We didn't wait until the athletes were on the podium for the Hammer Throw Awards. The national anthems played every day according to a previously published schedule. On Saturday, the music started at 5.25 p.m. And so, while winner Deanna Price and second-place finisher Brooke Anderson stood still on the podium with their hands over their hearts, and stared straight ahead at the American and Oregon flags. Barry fidgeted and placed the, on the third step. They tur then turned away and finally grabbed her T-shirt. They said they were going to play it before we walked out, quoting Barry, and then they played it when we were out there. But I don't really want to talk about the anthem because that's not important. The anthem doesn't speak for me. It never has. Barry's gestures drew virtually no reaction from the still-filling stands, and they were something far less than two summers ago when she raised her fist on the podium after winning the Pan Am Games. That demonstration led to a sanction, but ultimately pushed the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee to commit to not pushing, punishing athletes who raise fists or kneel at the trials or in Tokyo. It's a potential flashpoint for Tokyo, where the International Olympic Committee, or IOC, said it will enforce its Rule 50 that bans demonstrations inside the lines. It's the same prohibition that got sprinters Tommy Smith and John Carlos sent home from the Mexico City Games in 1968. So, as I said, not truly a political story. However, I have a feeling that this story is going to be all over our political news at least for you know the the short-term future going forward um, you know it, it it speaks to something of the the push and pull of you know our freedom of speech and you know traditions and rules in in activities that we are participating in uh, you know of, of course we, we look at the reaction that was created uh, from Colin Kaepernick and, you know, 
and many of you are probably too young to remember the scene of John Carlos and Tommy Smith standing on the first and second podium positions with uh, a black glove fist raised in the air and their heads bowed while the United States national anthem was played then. Uh, you know, there, there have been other protests that have been made during sporting events, then there will likely be many more. Uh, as I said, you know, the, the First Amendment gives us as American citizens a wide swath of freedoms of speech and association, etc. Uh, but that still doesn't mean that um, you know, local authorities can't institute some rules to govern you know, how their events are run. Uh, as I said, not a, not a political story, but I think one that is going to be told in political storytelling um, you know, for, you know, for the next few weeks. So just to keep an eye out for it so you'll know what they're talking about and so forth. Um, you know, and, and as I said on this show frequently, you know, it, it is part of the wider and the deeper look that we have to take at our political systems, at our systems in general, uh, so that we can be, you know, uh, enlightened and informed as we make decisions on how to interact with our political leadership. So, you know, we we often have, you know, the the call to action out here, and you know, it, it is something that we have to take up and make sure that, you know, if you support Gwen Gwen Berry in in this this action you know make your voice heard make it known uh if you don't support equally make your voice heard make your voice known but let's have an intelligent discussion about it um you know it, it remains to be seen what will happen with the media spin machine uh when they get a a bigger hold or stronger grip on this i dare say that you know since this happened on saturday that it was likely the subject of some conversation on the Sunday talk shows, um, and it will likely be uh, at least a, a few minutes mention on most of the radio and cable network uh, talk shows as well as we go forward. Um, but the, the bottom line, and you know, this is important, we have a right to free speech. The Constitution gives us some very fundamental rights, um, you know, including you know our right to free and fair elections that we talk about, our right to you know to redress our grievances through you know peaceful protest, uh, our right to petition our government to address issues of concern to us, and you know and so forth, you know our right to be able to bring initiatives to the ballot and have the people decide uh, and our political leaders you know must follow those those mandates um, but the key is that we have to take the action one of the things that um, you know a a favorite uh, journalist that I listen to uh, frequently uh, and his name is Joe Madison he appears on Urban View on Sirius XM uh, he's a uh, award-winning Hall of Fame um, reporter and, and well-deserved and well-honored. And one of his phrases that he tells his audience all the time, you know, he will cite a, an issue 
sight, and action, and then he will ask his audience one simple question. What are you going to do about it? So, you know, with, with respect and homage to Joe Madison, I ask all of you the same question. We have a call to action. You know, communicate with our political leadership. And my question to you as we wind up the show for this week is, what are you going to do about it? So that's going to do it for this week. As always, I thank you for listening. This is Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. Please send any comments, uh, questions, criticisms, or, or you know whatever points you want to discuss to the email for the program, which is firedupradio at yahoo.com. Go to wjmsradio.com where you can see the full lineup of the shows on this, uh, this station. We have shows that you know, appeal to everyone, and I encourage you to go and not just check out the link to my page, but the link to the other shows as well. In the meantime, everybody, please stay safe. If you have the opportunity to get vaccination, please, I encourage you. I strongly encourage you. Go get vaccinated. It is the best way to make sure that you are protected, that your loved ones are protected, and that the rest of us in the country are protected as well. With that being said, I will take my leave. Thank you all for listening each week as you do. This is Steve, and I look forward to speaking to you all again in seven days. Wherever you stand, I'm calling every woman, calling every man. We're the generation we can't afford to wait. The future started yesterday, and we 